This is Trio Solution with Mando and Jay. A few months back, Mando and I attended our first cannabis conference, Ocannabiz. We had the pleasure of meeting some amazing and extremely talented individuals that were each playing their part to elevate the Canadian cannabis industry onto the global stage. Initially, what surprised us was just how diverse and multicultural the cannabis industry was. I don't think either of us were expecting it. While we were there, we took an opportunity to network and connect with industry reps. When we stumbled upon a tall, dark and handsome gentleman named Av Singh. He represents a company that all home growers will find pretty interesting. Green Gorilla, a specially formulated organic soil for home growers. His passion for growing cannabis in a respectful and conscious way was infectious. We chatted for a while and we were amazed to learn of his extensive background. He had completed a PhD in philosophy and a postdoctorate in pasture-based livestock production. He's worked in the organic agriculture industry for over two decades and now the Chief Science Officer at Green Gorilla and co-founder of Fleming & Singh Cannabis Inc., where they work with cannabis growers to help produce the highest quality plants. We were deeply curious about his story and what evoked him to pursue the cannabis industry. More than anything, Mando and I want to understand what excites him about the future of the cannabis industry and the cannabis conferences held in Canada. You know, uh, I, th I think what I really like about the cannabis industry is that uh, you get all types here. Uh, it's a tremendous amount of diversity. Uh, it's, uh, you're walking into a room with many different races, and uh, we're starting to see a lot more women come into the uh, cannabis space as well. So, very exciting. We learned much about best practice for growth and some helpful tips that will help any home beginner to moderate grower, along with some of his other ventures, including Fleming and Singh Cannabis. Here's that conversation with Av Singh. Let's join the session. Welcome, podcasters. I'm Jai Mazaria. And I'm Mando of The Shake, brought to you by Trio Solution, recording from lovely downtown Toronto, Canada. Stick around, because for the next 45 minutes, we'll be discussing cannabis with industry leaders and influencers. Today, we're speaking with Av Singh, a cannabis cultivation advisor at Fleming & Singh Cannabis, Inc., He's also a Chief Science Officer at Green Gorilla, as well as an advisor on several cannabis boards. He has specialized in agronomic and social science research with the organic food and farming sector for over 25 years. Now he's bringing new systems to design thinking for holistic cultivation strategies for the cannabis sector. We will talk about his work with cannabis growers to help produce the highest quality plant, alongside gain a better understanding of the coevolution between the cannabis plant and life in the soil. Last but not least, we will learn what AV does to promote a living soil system with organic amendments as a prerequisite for the most robust cannabinoid terpene profiles. Great to have you on the show today, AV. Where are you joining us from? Um, I'm actually in, the, um, in my home in the beautiful Gaspro Valley, uh, which is uh, near Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Can you give us a brief summary of your education and past careers? Sure. Um, so I guess uh, I, um, I finished up my um, doctorate at uh, University of Manitoba, which was all related around pasture-based livestock production. And I went on to do a postdoc at the University of Minnesota, followed that up coming out to back to the Maritimes, and I started at the Organic Agriculture Center of Canada. Um, 
then became uh, an extension specialist uh, around organic and small-scale farming and did that for about 15 years, um, predominantly working with organic and small-scale farmers in Nova Scotia and across Canada. Um, entered into the cannabis world. Um, a part of my training in cannabis definitely came from uh, learning from organic farmers who were always growing a few plants on the side. But, um, I helped uh, Organigram develop a, uh, a, a super soil, a, a just-add water soil. And, uh, and then from then on, I, I went and worked with the American Cannabis Company for about a year. And then uh, where I met my colleague, Randy Fleming, and now uh, Randy and I have a, a two-person consulting company called Fleming and Singh Cannabis. What made you pivot into cannabis? Um, I, I think I think the timing was right to some degree. Um, uh, I'm notoriously um, uh, someone who gets in trouble with uh, different ministers of agriculture, and uh, usually, you know, championing the the underdogs um, and definitely organic and small scale farmers are are um, marginalized within um, within the food sector, and and definitely uh, one in which I would uh, be working with and and. and getting in trouble. So it was a good time to kind of leave the, the government world and, and enter into uh, um, something that I've, I've often felt like was uh, undervalued um, and once again marginalized, of course, during the prohibition period. Oh, outstanding. Um, can you also highlight some of the companies you're currently working for and what your title and roles would be for these companies? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, for the most part, uh, most of my work is done with Fleming and Singh um, as, as a cultivation advisor. Um, it's a nice little matchup. Randy uh, from the subculture, been growing cannabis for 30 years, so it's a, it's a nice little mix of, of subculture and the science. Um, but uh, along with that, uh, many of our clients are often looking for somebody with uh, agronomic experience, agricultural experience, organic experience. So I serve on, on several uh, advisory or scientific boards. Um, I serve as the chief science officer for Green Gorilla, and that's a hemp and cannabidiol company out of California. Uh, the commercial science specialist for um, Green Star, with Green Star plant products out of Langley, BC. Uh, they develop a whole range of, of nutrients, uh, ranging from soluble nutrients to organic amendments. And uh, um, and then I guess uh, uh, working with uh, um, various uh, LPs as well as, as, a, as an advisor. Speaking of your advisory roles, can you discuss your work as an advisory board member with Biz and the Grow Up Conference? And can you let our listeners know what made you decide to get involved? Yeah, um, well, I, I just, uh, yeah, so cannabis has um, probably been going on since 2016. Um, and these are all the brainchild of, of Neil Dixon, um, who uh, runs other events like uh, Canadian Music Week. So cannabis was Canada's first uh, uh, cannabis conference, and it really did deal with around the business of, of, of getting into cannabis. And uh, early on, it was for um, uh, uh, trying to bring a lot of investors to the educating investors, preparing people who wanted to start into licensed production to find investors, and then helping them through that whole uh, application and regulatory phase, um, bringing everything from accountants to lawyers to cultivation experts all together. Um, 
So well, cannabis goes on every year, a little bit more business-minded. And then um, what we recognize is that, yeah, it's great to get a licensed production facility going and go through all that application process, but you really do need to know how to grow. And um, when you enter this cannabis space, you are becoming a farmer. So, so trying to learn the techniques and the cultivation strategies that not only help you pr- grow the crop, but then what do you do with the crop after it's grown? So going into the post-harvest process. Um, that's when uh, Randy Rowe and Daniel Dixon uh, kind of cr- came up with the idea of the Grow Up Conference, uh, which is held uh, every year, usually in early September. I think this year it's uh, September 12th to the 14th in Niagara Falls. And this is trying to become, you know, North America's uh, leading cultivation conference. And that's where um, we can try to bring more and more cultivators to come and perhaps share some of their knowledge and their experience. But if not, um, you know, make sure that the, the cutting-edge research around photobiology, around um, cultivation methodology, around extraction and, and post-harvest processing, all of those new and emerging technologies um, are presented in, um, uh, to, to participants. At a high level, what is Fleming & Singh Cannabis, Inc.? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I, I think... Uh, um, I use the, the um, our tagline is uh, a culmination of uh, the subculture and the science. Um, so we're we're a turnkey consulting company. Uh, you know, for the most part, uh, what what makes us unique um, is is the fact that we have that opportunity to have that traditional wisdom that Randy brings from thirty years of cultivating in the uh, um, in 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 the prohibition era and then um, my academic training. And so taking that traditional knowledge and the wisdom that comes with that, and there was always these, and a lot of people like to call them myths. Well, a lot of those myths are really based on, on science and, and the science of the plants. And so it's that ability that, uh, you know, I can come in and be able to say, oh, that's, that's great information. Here's how, here's how, how, how the academics think it works. And so we can actually tweak things and, and make them, you know, um, even, uh, in my opinion, even, even stronger, um, because it, it is that nice bringing together of, of traditional wisdom and academic science. Amazing. Um, and would you mind discussing yeah. your role, uh, at, at, uh, Fleming and Singh Cannabis Inc. and, uh, why you guys believe that it was, uh, necessary to create this company? Um, and how you think it's going to help uh, others within the cannabis industry? Yeah, um, you know, so for the most part, um, uh, I think what what we really wanted to accomplish is that you know we're we're big fans of cannabis, and and so our we have we have particular values that we really wanted to get out, and this is the first time that I can remember in my life, and and, and I'm sure in Randy's that there is such a new sector and that new sector is is really allowing uh it's, it's almost like a clean palette that everyone has a chance to to shape and so our goal is is to you know maybe um exude some of our philosophies um into into this emerging sector and and so we're very open source with our knowledge in large part because of of honoring the traditional subculture so we we'd like to share our knowledge we want to have venues to do that, and that's what Ocanib is, and Grow Up, and MJ BizCon, and Lyft. Um, you know, those conferences give us that opportunity to share a lot of that knowledge. 
Um, and we really want to get people excited about the plant. We want them to respect the plant, fall in love with the plant. Um, but also, um, you know, there's very few sectors where you can get in the ground floor and try to shape them. So the opportunity to address a lot of the societal issues, um, a lot of the issues that um, were, were really deleterious during Prohibition, um, like racism, um, uh, sexism, uh, being able to give opportunities for Indigenous people to reclaim their health, uh, reclaim uh, this sacred plant. Um, you know, those opportunities, um, and that's, that's what, uh, you know, being an independent consultant gives us that freedom to be able to kind of um, share our views, um, you know, keep challenging people to, to make the sector stronger and stronger. Um, you know, so with that, we, we have a very open-door policy. We're not biased against large-scale operations. Uh, our philosophy is, you know, like a rising tide raises all boats. And, and so we want to make sure that the biggest and the best uh, continue to be the biggest and the best um, and, and make room for the ones that can, can create a more artisanal craft um, because that'll just maintain the reputation of, of Canadian bud, which, you know, we're, we're very grateful for the Kootenays um, uh, and, and what that has done for, for Canada's reputation as a, a world leader in cannabis. We noticed filming and sync cannabis offers a full solution from start to end for cannabis cultivation. Do you mind walking us through this process and shed light on what customers and companies can expect? Yeah, so uh, our, our main goal is to essentially take uh, a client's uh, visions and and bring them to fruition. So um, somebody may come to us and say, "Listen, I'm, I'm interested in growing a craft craft for a craft cannabis because I'm interested in producing some medicine." And so we'll take them from the idea. Okay, well, let's start with. The, that whole idea of, of creating a good medicine. Well, if you, if you actually want to create that medicine, that means you want to be um, right into the, the, the processing uh, phase of it as well. So we're going to take you from that cultivation end, we're going to take you through processing, and then take you into packaging. Um, so we'll help design the facility, and of course, you know, using whatever budget you have, we'll take you through, design your facility, then take you through that whole application phase that uh, that Health Canada um, has you go through, and um, um, we we do charge uh, uh, very nominal rates um, in large part because we didn't think Health Canada really designed the application system for for consultants to get rich, um, and we really see our strong value in making sure that our clients know where to put the money in. We, we're very clear with our clients that this is not for everyone. Um, you know, entering into anything that's regulated by the federal government is going to cost a lot of money. Um, there will always be tests that you have to do. There's always standards that you have to rise to. And so you need to have a bit of capital to, to be able to get into this space. It's unfortunate, um, but it's a reality of, of a, a capitalist-based system. So uh, we want to make sure that our clients are quite aware that this does take a bit of money to get in there, but we really want to support all of their passion around the plant. And so just helping them through uh, the design of the facility, making sure that the mechanical engineers have all of the information, uh, make sure that we can um, support them in their cultivation strategy and give them tips on how to grow 
um, and you know what likes to choose and um, what's your best soil uh, or um, um, fertilizer nutrient amendments. Sticking with services, Fleming and Singh Cannabis offers. Can you briefly talk about lean manufacturing and Six Sigma? Yeah, so uh, the the main thing, when you look at the Health Canada um, regulations, what they're looking for, um, they loosely call good production practices. And so that can range from good agricultural and collecting practices. So you want to make sure that you are using good agricultural practices. You know, you don't want to have contamination. You don't want to have uh, uh, opportunities where the product is not being treated as uh, as 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 a medicine might want to be. So you want to make sure that all of your practices are, are sound and um, both safe for the public and safe for the, the producer. Okay. Um, what they're also looking for is uh, efficiency. So one of the main things when you're looking at a good production practice is that you have a nice flow of your product. So you're not backtracking. You're not taking a product that went from one room back through another room to get to another room. That's, that leads to op- great opportunity for cross-contamination, and, and you want to try to avoid all that, not only for the lack of efficiency of working backwards, but also because of that opportunity to create that contaminated product. So you really want to make sure that you have um, designated particular areas, have standard operating procedures um, in place to make sure that you're pr- providing a, a good quality product, and a good consistent product. Um, most thing, most important thing to remember, if you are producing a medicine, it has to be consistent. Um, you know, n- nobody wants a medicine that worked from one day um, and then didn't work the next day. Why does Fleming and Singh Cannabis advocate for organic grow conditions? So, uh, I mean, we, we have a bias towards uh, or, organic, uh, in large part because I've been working in the organic industry for about 25 years. Um, but I think it's more because we feel like it is um, a better representation of the the relationship that that plant has evolved over millions of years, right? So the, the plant has this, uh, the cannabis plant is a phenomenal plant uh, in general. It, it, it takes about 60% of all of the food that it produces by its relationship with the sun and puts that into the soil. So it, it's feeding the soil in in a very um, a very programmed way in which it is telling the plant uh, telling the soil I want this food um, you know go find it for me I'll feed you this if you find me this and so an organic system a soil based system really allows to um, respect that relationship um, we also look at organic systems as uh, a little bit more balanced. And um, when you have a more balanced system, you typically don't run into further problems. So as I mentioned earlier, if you overfeed a plant, um, then you can often lead into pest problems or pathogen problems. So allowing a plant to eat what it wants, when it wants, how much it wants, uh, tends to lead to a very balanced uh, plant. And lastly, we we also have to recognize that a lot of our um, consumers, uh, the end users, are often turning to cannabis because they are immune suppressed. Um, they have a disorder and an ailment, and the last thing you want to do is compromise that by by uh, producing something that may not have um, uh, may have a, another element that they do not want. And so, 
So we try to take an organic approach to that. Thanks, Ev. Now, for our listeners that may not know, would you be able to explain what probiotic enhanced living soil is? Yeah, sure. Uh, so most, most of our listeners would probably be familiar with the term probiotic, and a lot of that would come from their understanding of either um, taking acidophilus or lactobacillus or just simply eating yogurt or, or any other fermented food. Um, you know, that whole fermentation process, um, whether it's yogurt or, or kombucha or uh, sauerkraut, um, are laden with um, probiotics or microbes. And in large part, it's things like um, lactobacillus that, that's in a lot of these uh, um, fermented foods. Um, so that's what we're trying to do in the soil. As I mentioned before, a lot of the organic amendments are not plant available. And so what you need to do is you need to have a living soil uh, that is going to generate the food for the plant. And, and so that's what we try to do. Um, and by that, we use different inoculants, um, and they range from uh, things that are, uh, you know, maybe three or four different species to some that are thousands of different species. Okay. And would you be able to discuss the process with which Fleming and Sing Cannabis Inc. uses to help design and tailor specific soils for their customers? Yeah, so um, uh, one of the main things that we're, we're always trying to get um, uh, our, our clients excited about soil, uh, not that we exclusively work with uh, uh, only clients in soil, but because we know that you can get a more robust terpene profile, uh, we just find it it's a lot more forgiving media. You can you can uh, overwater it, you can underwater it, you can have high pH water, low pH water, and and the soil usually has a great buffering capacity. Um, but we also have to recognize the efficiency, and and we don't want to create a system in which you have to keep adding nutrients to, and that's why we've gone to these super soils. So we have different clients, and um, we always want to respect the autonomy and the creativity of the head grower. So those head growers, they might have a particular ingredient that they just absolutely love. And so they may come and say, I really love using insect brass, right? So this is, you know, perhaps the, the waste from black soldier fly or the waste from crickets or something like that, really high in probiotics, really high in, in nutrients. And they say, I really want to use some of that. And, you know, we recognize that you still need trace minerals and you need some other nitrogen and you need some phosphorus. So maybe we'll pull in some bone meal and maybe we'll pull in um, basalt rock dust because we want some silica. We bring in all these ingredients and then we'll balance them out uh, to make sure that there's a sufficient amount of nutrients in that. But then we'll make sure that there's a probiotic in there. And uh, whether that comes from a very um, um, broad source like worm castings or it comes through a very specific source uh, of using a, a very dense, um, uh, high, high, uh, high input um, uh, probiotic that that has um, you know billions and billions per gram of, um, of material. Can you briefly explain to our listeners that may not know what is the endocannabinoid system, and can you please briefly touch on the two main types of receptors? Uh, sure. The, so the um, all mammals actually have what is called the endocannabinoid system. So as much as we, we like to think that, you know, cannabis is in our DNA and, and that, you know, this plant was given to us to uh, 
to help uh, either get us high or heal us. Um, long before that, um, cannabis was growing long before humans um, ever ever appeared. Um, but all mammals have this endocannabinoid system, and, and essentially it's a self-regulating system. So it's, it's a system that's helping to design and, and develop uh, homeostasis in your body. So if, if you're a little bit off in terms of, of producing a particular chemical like serotonin, it'll help regulate and so that you actually produce uh, more serotonin or less serotonin, depending on, on how you're running. Um, same thing with, with a lot of other things. If, if you have uh, lower pancreatic function and you're not developing enough insulin, it'll help regulate the production of insulin. So it's a homeostatic uh, system. It predominantly has uh, two identified receptors. Now, arguably, there's some people who'd say there's, there's uh, dozens more um, uh, receptors, but typically we refer to things as CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors. Um, the cannabis plant produces a lot of phytocannabinoids. The human body produces a lot of, um, well, some would say only two uh, endocannabinoids, but some would say that there's there's more than two uh, endocannabinoids. Those endocannabinoids are uh, referred to as 2-AG and anandamide, and, and their function is similar to um, uh, the cannabinoids, the phytocannabinoids like THC, um, CBD, CBG, CBC, CBN, all of those are, are um, phytocannabinoids, and they have a very similar function. Um, the endocannabinoid system kind of works like a lock and key system. Um, the chemicals are often the, um, the locks, and the keys are, are, these, uh, are these receptors. Phew, got those taxes done just in time. I don't know about you, but I can feel rushed with the day-to-day, and when it comes to doing my taxes, or when that time of year rolls by, it can easily get lost in the shuffle or rushed. Luckily, I can rely on Instatax for all my tax needs. And all it took Instatax was 30 minutes. Think about it. That's quicker than a pizza. Instatax also helped realign my business accounting needs from payroll, bookkeeping, monthly financials, and year-ends, just to start. It really gives me peace of mind knowing I have the right team at Instatax in my corner for all my accounting needs. If you find yourself in a situation or just want the right team to guide you with your accounting needs, visit Instatax at www.insta-tax.ca or contact Instatax at 905-737-5811. Once again, that's 905-737-5811. Or come visit them at Suite 215 at Hillcrest Mall in Richmond Hill, serving from the same location for over 27 years. And when you do contact Instatax, remember to mention the shake for a 5% discount on your personal income taxes. And, and would you also be able to touch on uh, terpenes and explain for our listeners that may not be familiar what this term means? Sure. Um, you know, and, and terpenes are, are pretty basic. Uh, it, it's, uh, some, some would argue it's the most common language um, spoken on Earth because that is actually how bacteria and archaea and plants actually communicate with each other. Um, and and it's, it's remarkable that it's most terpenes are simply carbon and hydrogen. So you have two elements, and yet terpenes are all of the aromas that we're smelling so, or tasting. So when, when we talk about a lemon haze and it's got that real citrusy um, uh, flavor to it, that's coming from uh, most likely delta limonene. That's the terpene that's in there. It's an aromatic, but it also kind of gives you that flavor. 
Um, so these plants have developed these terpenes for several reasons. Um, some, some of the terpenes work as insect repellents. Some of the terpenes work as uh, attractants to try to get pollinators. Well, once again, to, to remind our listeners that uh, what we're seeing in the cannabis plant is we really want that unfertilized female flower. So the plant is often producing a lot of these terpenes to try to attract a pollinator, trying to get pollinated. Uh, of course, our bias is that we don't want it to get pollinated because we will get more terpenes, more cannabinoids when it's not uh, pollinated. Thank you for all that information. Uh, some, a lot of chew on there for our listeners as well. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on legalization of recreational cannabis and the rollout in Canada. And it looks like production hasn't really met the demand for CBD patients as well as the recreational users. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, arguably, um, um, I think I think uh, we rushed with legalization and perhaps we didn't put uh, enough resources in um, in better understanding what the what the demands would be, um, you know, cannabis was is is and and was during their you know, pre pre legalization. It was really presented like a drug, a gateway drug, as opposed to really educating people that it you know could have been uh, and it is a powerful medicine. Um, I think with that there was more emphasis around the precautionary um, approaches to cannabis as opposed to really trying to educate the consumers better, as well as educate licensed producers to be able to have appropriate medication. Um, so for example, there, we have a lot of product, uh, licensed producers have a lot of product, but they haven't been able to process a lot of that product. So there's um, product that's sitting in warehouses that could get extracted, and if it gets extracted, it can be put into different oils. Um, I think a lot of our demand, uh, especially with those who aren't necessarily ones who want to be smoking flour, um, is, is getting it into vape pens, getting it into edible oils, uh, capsules, gel capsules, things like that. Um, and I think that's where um, the, the real uh, shortages are not only with flour, but the fact that our consumer public, uh, especially those who are so new to cannabis, would want a lot of these other products. Um, so I think we would have done a better job hitting the demand if we were allowed to do things like vape oils um, earlier on. Yeah, I think Mando and myself both agree with you, uh, and we appreciate the information. Uh, just to pivot over into uh, another area, we were wondering uh, what type of holistic cultivation strategies do you offer for the cannabis industry? You know, I think I think the key word that in that question is is holistic. Um, one of one of our kind of uh, uh, mantras that we kind of work off of is the idea that we really want to have uh, design solutions. We want to design systems that are um, designed to avoid problems. So it's it's problem avoidance by design, and in large part, when you're looking at cultivating, you want to make sure that you're looking at the environment of the of the plant. And so uh, a lot of our solutions that we would propose would make sure that, um, you know, for example, um, choosing your nutrients. Um, one of the main things to remember is that oftentimes a simple choice like nutrients can be positive or negative for the plant. 
if we choose a nutrient that has perhaps uh, a higher balance of one particular element, you create an imbalance within that plant. Once you create an imbalance in that plant, uh, both pathogens and pests realize that that plant is not as the healthiest it can be. When, when it's not the healthiest it can be, it is essentially sending out terpenes telling everyone that it's not healthy. And that becomes an attractant to an insect or a pathogen. And therefore, now you're dealing with issues like powdery mildew, where you have, you know, thrips, white flies, aphids, spider mites. So our approach is um, really trying to control the environment uh, as much as we can uh, to, to optimize plant growth, um, but, but looking at all aspects of its growth to make sure that um, not one factor is, is at a place to, to create that imbalance. Excellent. So I want to get your thoughts on craft growing compared to large-scale facilities. And in, in, uh, just, you know, following up on that uh, last comment, uh, the beauty of um, the craft grower is, is the ability to actually have a more control over environment. So when you're talking about a, a flowering room that might have, might be a thousand square feet, mm-hmm. um, greater likelihood that you'll be able to dial in on the on the exact uh, humidity that you wanted uh, or the exact temperatures that you wanted. When you start talking about 40,000 square feet flowering rooms or 100,000 square feet flowering rooms, you're going to have greater variability in things like light, temperature, humidity, um, which then don't provide uh, as consistent of, of uh, both a terpene profile or a cannabinoid profile and also can create environments in which pest pathogens may proliferate because you don't have the ideal temperature, um, the ideal environmental growth conditions. So I, I think there's a place for both. Um, uh, but in my opinion, eventually the craft growers are the connoisseur growers and they will be producing the majority of high quality flour that those who still want to grow flour uh, or still want to consume flour, we'll be able to get that from the craft growers. Um, some larger scale facilities, whether they're indoor or greenhouse, um, play a very valuable role in that um, if, I'm, if I'm a medical patient and, and I really enjoy my purple kush that was developed by a particular licensed producer, uh, I want to know that I can continue to get that purple kush all year round um, over several years um, to help address whatever ailment that I'm using it to address. Okay. And that's, that type of controlled environment is something that definitely warehouse growing really provides. Could you also explain for our listeners what is hydroponics? Yeah, well, hydroponics, um, you know, by, by the terminology, you might think it's just have to do with growing in water. Um, it really is a system that is grown in which you are providing the plant with very soluble nutrients. And by soluble, we mean nutrients that are readily plant available. So the plant has really easy access to uptaking these nutrients. Um, Oftentimes, you're growing hydroponics in using uh, media like rock wool, which is essentially recycled insulation-type material. Um, Not not my favorite choice. Um, I think it's a little bit more difficult to grow in. It's a little uh, less forgiving of the media. I prefer a media with a bit of organic matter in it. So some folks have, have gone towards uh, coconut 
um, coir, so it's the fiber around the coconut shell. Uh, peat-based, uh, sphagnum peat moth, so peat-based uh, media, uh, those can also be worked in the hydroponic system. So typically the hydroponic systems are, you're using soluble nutrients, often liquid nutrients or powdered nutrients that have been diluted in, um, in, a, um, in, in water and then fed through drip irrigation, uh, fed through an ebb and flood system, uh, a drain, and drain to waste system in which uh, essentially uh, the plants are, are being bottom irrigated uh, with the nutrient solution. Okay, and has there been any scientific evidence that uh, either growing through the hydroponic way or through more of a traditional method of soil is more effective uh, for the actual growth of the cannabis crop? I, you know, uh, one of the one of the biggest challenges is that uh, because of prohibition, there's been very little research that's been able to be done in a peer-reviewed system. So that's that's really what we're looking forward to as Canada uh, enters into a, a post-prohibition world where they can actually start looking at some of this uh, this type of work. Now, my bias is that um, right now. Um, universities and governments aren't knowledgeable enough uh, about how to grow cannabis and and uh, really need to draw upon the subculture of, uh, you know draw from the people who were growing during prohibition to to really learn some uh, amazing traditional knowledge about how to grow and then we'll start getting more concrete research that that um, that can kind of do a lot of this type of comparison but anecdotally, um, there are several studies that show that uh, with hydroponics using soluble nutrients, you can actually have increased yield over a uh, soil-based system. Um, yet at the same time, increased um, uh, increased fertility, often associated with hydroponic systems, usually relates in a, to a decrease in terpene profile. So one of the better aspects of growing in a in a true soil is that yeah you can get a more robust cannabinoid profile so you're getting a, a wider range of cannabinoids being produced in higher higher amounts as well as a greater number of terpenes um, both in uh, types of terpenes as well as in quantity of terpenes excellent thank you very much uh, since the legalization of cannabis there's been a lot of uh people, home growers, and smaller companies getting into the industry. How does someone enter the industry, develop, or choose a specific cultivation method? You know, I think, um, you know, choosing the, the right cultivation method probably has a lot to do with your own personal choices. Um, so it, it comes around to your own philosophy around how you want to grow the plant, uh, probably how you want to have uh, what you're looking for in an end product as well. So arguably, um, our bias is that if you're looking to really produce a good medicinal plant, uh, growing it in a soil system is going to allow for that greater robustness of both cannabinoid and terpene profiles. So if you're looking to, to uh, perhaps get a medicine that's going to be high in the terpenes, which are, um, you know, we haven't touched upon the entourage effect, but uh, uh, are critical in how some of these cannabinoids actually deliver their medicinal benefits. They have an integral role in, in um, making increasing their efficacy. Um, I would say that that has a lot to do with how you choose which strategy you want to go with. Uh, some of it comes down to um, availability. Uh, so 
not everyone has access or if they're growing in a particular um, location where it's going to be very difficult to get larger shipments of soil to come into their facility, they may be confined to using um, a system like a hydroponics where you're getting small small cubes of cocoa fiber uh, delivered and easier to um, get rid of some of that waste. Uh, some of the some decision-making is based on necessity, whereas some of it is going to be based on philosophy. Can you uh, touch on the entourage effect for some of our listeners that do not know? Yeah, sorry. Um, so the entourage effect is still something that, um, you know, people will argue is, is still a hypothesis. Um, but um, it's, it's one that was highlighted that any of these cannabinoids or any of these terpenes work better, uh, almost have a synergistic effect when they're in combination with another cannabinoid or another terpene. Um, some of this was, was most uh, evident when the U.S. developed a synthetic THC uh, called Marinol. And that synthetic THC was a, essentially a THC isolate, um, and it was used to uh, prevent nausea in uh, chemotherapy patients. So what happened, uh, it, in fact, induced nausea. And, and so when they compare that to uh, cancer patients who were actually smoking um, uh, cannabis flower, uh, who were actually getting um, a reduction in, in uh, nausea, um, they realized that there's something going on there. And, and so they, that was where the first hypothesis that there's an entourage effect that these cannabinoids, in fact, work better uh, in combination with other cannabinoids or in combination with other terpenes. Okay. How would someone determine what is the best or ideal soil amendment to use for new growth or production? So, you know, it's hard to, hard to isolate one particular uh, soil amendment that that you you would want to add to, to your soil. Um, so... The cannabis plant, as most plants, they require about 17 essential elements. Um, the most common ones that we think of are nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Um, on your fertilizer label, you'll see things like NPK. That's what that stands for. It's the percent of nitrogen, the percent of phosphate, and the percent of uh, potash that is actually in your fertilizer. Um, on top of that, there's things like calcium, magnesium, sulfur, um, that are also uh, important elements to have. So uh, what, what I think is, is interesting is that once you have a lot of those basic elements, there are always um, growers who have their own kind of secret recipe, and they, and they kind of think this is, this, is their, um, this is something that kind of separates them from other growers or their own little way of of adding something to it and and that's that's the beauty of, of the subculture and the beauty of the traditional wisdom of of those growers who've been growing for 75 years during during prohibition um all these great recipes and in fact the super soil that i helped develop um was was largely based on the traditional knowledge of of the uh, of the subculture and it was different recipes which you know, uh, there's several recipes on online, whether it's the Rev's recipe or Subcool's recipe or Clackamas Coots recipe. These are all amazing recipes that uh, people have continued to evolve with. Um, so they all have their special ingredient that they want to add that may give them that extra boost in, 
in uh, trichome production. Now you've touched on the super soil that you produced. Uh, do you mind uh, talking a little bit more about it to our listeners and, and talking about the process and how long it took you to develop it? Sure, and and you know, and once again, it, it's uh, um, it's it's very open source. Uh, in large part, we try to keep it open source in honor and homage to um, the, the the subculture. Uh, it is traditional wisdom, and all we did is tweak with it. So, um, and, and in fact, I think the recipe that Organogram was using was probably based largely on the Rev's recipe. Uh, the Rev has a book called uh, True Living and Organics, I believe. And uh, in that, um, uh, there's a recipe, and it's got everything from bat guano to kelp meal to uh, bone meal, um, a whole list, I think 13, 15 different ingredients. Um, powerful, powerful ingredients, uh, definitely enough nutrients to carry a plant uh, well into flowering. But one of the things to remember when you're using a lot of organic amendments is that the plant can't actually use them in the form that they're provided. So unlike a soluble nutrient or a liquid nutrient, a plant available nutrient, which the plant can immediately take up, a lot of these organic nutrients actually have to be broke down and they have to be transformed by living organisms. Um, so if you have some compost um, and you mix alfalfa meal with that compost. Well, the microbial life that's in that compost is going to work on that alfalfa meal and then make the nitrogen, the phosphorus, and the potassium more available for the plant to take. And so that's what I did. When I, when I kind of looked at the recipe, I said, wow, this is amazing recipe. Um, you know, I wish my organic farmers could afford to use all of these nutrients. Uh, what was lacking is enough of... Uh, biology in the soil so that it didn't have enough microbial life in large enough numbers to generate uh, enough uh, nutrients in a, in a relatively short period of time. Cannabis plant only has, for the most part, uh, a lot of the, the chemovars that we, we grow in uh, our licensed production facilities have a flowering time between seven to nine weeks. So it's really important to make sure that those nutrients that you have can be available when the plant needs them. And so I introduced um, a um, microbial uh, probiotic uh, that contains three bacterial species, and they worked hard to um, deliver the nutrients as the plant dictates. Hey Jai, have you been to one of those paint parties? You know, the ones where you sit around drinking wine and paint a scenic picture placed in front of you? I went once, and from that day I knew I was lacking some creative bones. So luckily, when it came to how I wanted my business to look from my imagination, I have Rukimu Productions for all my creative thoughts to come alive. Rukimu Productions really helped my business with graphic design to logo and branding. I can probably tell you that Rukimu Productions is a one-stop shop that works with you to create your vision for the world to see. Visit rukimu.pb.online for more information and contacts. That's R-U-K-I-M-O dot P-B dot online. Rukimu.pb dot online. Can you explain uh, what a single-tier and multi-tier grow method is for uh, some of our listeners, and how does one determine which one to use? In terms of a, a single-tier uh, growing system, that, uh, that essentially is saying that uh, it, it's probably what more of our listeners are, are really common, commonly have seen. If they go into a greenhouse, they see a bunch of benches, and on that you have plants growing. Um, that would be what we consider a single-tier system. Um, and and uh, that's been quite popular 
especially in things like greenhouses. When you started looking at um, uh, growing cannabis in warehouses, space becomes an issue. And, and so the idea of, of having warehouses in which you only are using one, uh, one tier is kind of a waste of space. And so um, long before cannabis became cultivated in a, um, in a medical uh, facility, um, there was horticultural you know, vertical growing in the horticultural world, whether it was strawberries, tomatoes, peppers, um, that tiered rocking system had been developed. That was brought over to the cannabis world and has made a lot of difference. And that, of course, the invention and the increases in efficiency of LEDs or light-emitting diodes, those LED lights have made um, tiered, tiered growing systems much easier. Now, what type of irrigation is typically used, and how does one determine which is the best solution for them? Um, uh, you know, for the for the most part, it, it once again it'll come down to a, a lot of how you are, um, uh, what type of nutrient uh, uh, irrigation systems you're using. So, if you are using uh, soluble nutrients, and uh, you have uh, several different tanks in which you are mixing these nutrients. That'll be sent either through an ebb and flood system in which essentially um, this nutrient-rich solution is passed uh, at the bottom of where the plants are being grown, or you have a curb irrigation system in which you have uh, different lines uh, emitting with the different emitters and dropping, um, uh, dropping the nutrient solution to the plants directly. How does a producer or craft grower determine what type of environment controls they should use? Uh, is it HVAC system, water chilling systems, control of humidity levels, or is it an array of, of a bunch of things? Yeah, and, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of the HVAC is, uh, and, and when, you, when you say, you know, what, what's the, the most important thing in, in uh, cultivating cannabis, uh, whether it's... Um, uh, like in an indoor setting, whether it's a warehouse or a greenhouse, uh, for us it comes down to HVAC. The most important factor that where we want uh, most of our clients to spend a little bit of extra money is towards HVAC. So that's your heating, ventilation, air conditioning. And it's because the importance of, of creating the right environmental conditions are critical for optimizing plant growth and, and really essentially, essentially determining the health of that plant. Um, so what we typically recommend, and, and a lot of it will come down to the, the budget of, of, the, of the producer, uh, we have a bias towards hydronic heating and cooling uh, because we feel like that's the best way of addressing the issues of humidification. Oftentimes, if you're using, say, uh, heat pumps, um, those mini splits, what you'll often find is that uh, you'll have uh, enough humidification, humidity is bang on, but when the lights go off, the humidity um, will spark up and there's an inability to be able to control that humidity. And so now you've got a peak of, uh, of, of humidity far beyond the kind of range of what you really want humidity to spike. The spiking of humidity may not seem like a, a big threat, but what happens is it stresses the plant out to some degree. And when you stress out a plant, any of those pathogens that might be on the plant also get stressed. 
And so if you get a spike in humidity, uh, if you had powdery mildew, the powdery mildew spores get stressed, and that's when they decide to proliferate. And when they, when they just choose to proliferate, that's when you start seeing a big spread of, of powdery mildew. So trying to keep your environmental controls um, um, you know, well, well defined and uh, uh, with little or no variance is going to be ideal for keeping that. So this is why we often will turn this over to mechanical electrical engineers and we'll say, okay, please design a system in which you can hit this temperature and you can maintain this temperature, you can maintain this humidity, um, and they will design a very special system in which you've got air handling units and you've got fan coils and they can, they can uh, create that ideal environment. Now, a hot topic amongst crack growers is the trimming methods. Um, we want to know what your preferences and your thoughts are of the automatic trimmer method versus the traditional one. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's definitely going to uh, probably get me in trouble with, uh, <laughs> with some of the um, more traditional hand trimming. And um, uh, so many people will argue that uh, hand trimming is far superior to... to uh, an automatic trimming machine. Uh, I think it's important to recommend that uh, recognize that not all mechanized trimming machines are, are created equal. Um, uh, I, arguably, you will pay um, you'll get what you paid for uh, type thing. And I'm not gonna I'm not necessarily gonna mention any names. And there's uh, there's some really good mecha mechanized trimmers out there. Um, we we come from a philosophy of encouraging a wet trim. Uh, in large part because we want to we want to reduce any chance of some post-harvest flare-ups of um, molds or mildews. And so uh, our thought process is if you can remove some of those fan leaves, uh, remove some of the sugar leaves, which you'll be able to then collect again and, and go through extraction, but if you can remove that, you're going to get a better chance of water being able to dissipate from the, from the bud and, and dry down in a in a quicker manner, um, without without uh, holding on to some of that water that might then allow for things like bud rot or botrytis uh, to take hold. So um, uh, we we lean towards uh, a mechanized trim during um, you know fresh off the plant. Um, and the reason we recommend mechanized trimming is that hand trimming is labor intense. Um, and and takes a special um, talent, and and not every place can get people who are really skilled at hand trimming. Outstanding. Um, how does a craft grower or producer determine what type of amendments and nutrients should be used to feed cannabis crops? So uh, you know, the, the beauty of the craft grower, in my opinion, is that they are at a small enough scale that they can create uh, some unique. Uh, opportunities to to really highlight some of the robustness within within the cannabis plant. So um, where where you may not be able to do some of this in a larger facility, the craft grower might be able to get in there with a compost tea. Um, compost teas are, are a way of, of increasing the soil life, uh, microbial life perhaps getting a huge boost in cannabinoid production or a, a larger boost in terpene production. Um, that, that is something that not every large-scale producer has the ability to do. 
in large part because Health Canada is going to be a little bit more strict around the, the larger producers. Um, and uh, the craft producers have a little bit, I mean, it's artisanal. It's, it's hands-on. You have that ability to be in the room. You may only be dealing with a room that has 250 plants. Whereas, um, you know, in a large-scale facility, you can be walking in a room with 10,000 plants. Just as, just as a follow-up, how does a craft grower determine when is the correct time to harvest? Well, regardless if you're a craft grower or uh, um, a licensed producer, uh, in large part, you you will make that decision. Uh, arguably, we like to make that decision on the color of the trot cones. So um, if, if you've ever... Uh, closely observed, uh, you get a jeweler's loop out there and you start looking uh, at at the trichomes. And just once again, for our listeners, the trichomes are the uh, secretory glands on the flower as well as on on the, the leaves in the upper part of the of the, the of the plant. And they tend to hold the majority of cannabinoids and terpenes. So these little secretory glands. Um, and we'll go through a, a different uh, a, a series of colors. So, so initially, when you first see them, they'll have a very clear look to them. Then they'll go through a process where they get a little cloudy. And then they'll turn clear again, and then they'll turn amber. Um, and this all happens within a matter of days, um, or maybe maybe a little over a week, um, that some of that transition. And what we typically look for um, is is around if, if about five percent of the trichomes that we see have turned that amber look, and we think we're ready to, for a harvest. Um, some people may want to go a little bit later. Typically, if you have more uh, amber trichomes, it just means that more of your THC is actually being degraded. Uh, uh, THC will eventually degrade into CBN, um, and uh, um, you know, some some would argue that CBN is less powerful in terms of uh, intoxication. Now, uh, we just want to pivot into a different area and speak about your work with Green Gorilla. At a high level, what is Green Gorilla? Um, with Green Gorilla, uh, early on, uh, there aren't a lot of people who've entered into the cannabis space with uh, a an agricultural or agronomic background. Uh, Green Gorilla is a sustainable agricultural company that is producing um, some hemp and uh, and then extracting that hemp for CBD. Uh, this is, you know, in, and uh, um, I'm not a, necessarily a big fan of CBD isolates, um, you know, in large part because of what we talked about earlier in that entourage effect. Um, but we have to give credit to CBD and CBD isolates as sort of helping break down the, the prohibition uh, era. And, and so that's what uh, Green Gorilla is producing. And so a lot of my work with Green Gorilla is how do we transition from a prohibitionary time into uh, a legalized time? And so move on from moving from CBD isolates into looking at more full-spectrum CBD oils. So once again, that's uh, a, C, um, uh, a, medic, a medication that will have, yes, CBD, but it may have some other non-intoxicating cannabinoids and definitely some terpenes. Some of the products that are part of the line that Green Gorilla focuses on include supplements, 
pet care, topicals, horse care, and lip balm. Can you let our listeners know why do you believe CBD can be effective for animals? Yeah, so, you know, once again, as I mentioned earlier, um, all, uh, all mammals actually have an endocannabinoid system. So um, all mammals have these cannabinoid receptors. Uh, all, all, ma- sorry, all mammals are producing uh, their own endocannabinoids. And, and so um, using something like a CBD, not, not all mammals will relate or react to equally with THC as well as humans seem to, but um, uh, they all seem to have uh, similar responses to other cannabinoids like CBD. Um, it, it is important to recognize that uh, because we have a very different uh, nervous system and not everything translates exactly as how it would. So, for example, if, if we treated certain rats with some uh, terpenes, their reaction is very different than the way humans would react. Um, and so we have to be very cautious as we, as we take this on to our pets. But, for example, dogs, uh, there are uh, a lot of anecdotal um, uh, evidence showing how the use of CBD is helping dogs address a lot of the same disorders that, that um, affect humans. So if it's a lot of neural development issues around things like uh, seizures um, or if it's an anti-inflammatory analgesic properties, um, those are also benefiting dogs as well. Would you mind speaking a bit more about these products and how they're developed? Yeah, so, uh, and, and they're developed uh, um, in large part because we're still uh, harvesting the um, uh, the the unfertilized female flower of the can uh, of the cannabis plant, or in this case, the hemp plant. So we are just simply extracting CBD um, in in large part, and it is still an isolate because of of um, uh, that it's. You know, despite certain states uh, allowing for medical cannabis, not uh, you know the, the U.S. has not fully endorsed uh, legalization, um, and and so the the opportunity for uh, getting it in and in into uh, pets and cosmetics is, is out there for uh, hemp-based CBD, and so that there's been some early on work that's shown that how it can be quite um, uh, has great efficacy for uh, inflammation in horses. Uh, so it's been uh, developed for uh, a supplement for, for horses. Uh, and then um, in terms of the cosmetic line, uh, that, that's, that's going to be an incredibly powerful um, uh, new, new era as it, as it enters into probably every aspect of, of the cosmetic line, whether it's for skin care, um, whether it's uh, leaning towards you know feminine feminine hygiene products, uh, dealing with some of the you know menstrual pains, um, uh, all of these are, are going to start uh, entering into the marketplace. Now, throughout the hour, we've learned that you've been in a lot of ex- you've had a lot of experience and through a lot of vast areas within cannabis. And we're wondering, are there any significant projects you're currently working on that excite you? And would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Um, yeah, I, you know, um, I mean, it's. It's always hard to to know what what you can and cannot say. Um, so um, you know, we, we try to maintain as much confidentiality uh, around our, our clients. But we're very excited about um, 
um, the innovation and the excitement and the passion around a lot of our clients and the stories that they come with and, and the philosophies that they bring. Um, I think I'm, I'm free to share uh, our, our relationship with Brett and Canna Farms. Um, Brett and Canna Farms are located in Port Hawkesbury, Nova Scotia, and they come with a, a, real, a real dedication um, to trying to break um, uh, addictions to opioids and address some of the post-traumatic stress disorder um, that veterans are facing. And, and so it's a very pro-veteran um, uh, facility. They, they look to hire veterans uh, into their facility, and their whole philosophy is around um, making sure that they're producing enough medicine for veterans, right? And, and as I talked about earlier, it's that real um, important to have, it's the importance of having a very consistent medicine, right? There's nothing worse than finding something that really is addressing your post-traumatic stress and then all of a sudden finding that that uh, licensed producer no longer is growing that strain or is growing that strain but growing it in a greenhouse setting or growing it outdoors where now it has a very different terpene profile and maybe even a, a, a variation in its cannabinoid profile. It no longer works for me. So I really like their philosophy. Um, it's not a philosophy that's going to make uh, a lot of money, but it's going to produce good medicine, and and uh, and it's nice um, uh, to to give back to uh, people who've uh, you know given back to to their government. Um, I also like a lot of the different philosophies people bring. Um, we work with uh, indigenous uh, producers who really want to bring back health to their communities. And, and so um, it's nice to, to work with Orion Cannabis Corp, uh, which should be getting their license uh, relatively soon. And I think they would be the second um, Indigenous cannabis-owned uh, operation in Canada. Uh, we've got clients that, uh, that are using aquaponics, um, you know, whether it's to produce extra protein for their communities or to cycle nutrients. And, like Aquilitas in Nova Scotia and uh, Stewart Farms in New Brunswick, uh, who are all doing uh, aquaponics and, and very innovative approaches around aquaponics as well. Um, I think there's not a client that we don't think that they, they come from a great story. Uh, a lot of it comes from personal issues, uh, uh, personal stories around you know helping uh, a loved one through cancer um, via by uh, cannabis or, or helping somebody who's had um, seizures and, and being able to address that through uh, through cannabis and and uh, that becomes a lot of their their interest in, in getting into the field so we're uh, uh, we, we look forward to that we kind of wish that Health Canada would allow you to uh, to share more of those stories and and be able to talk a little bit more about how how those um, you know amazing stories of cannabis have helped them um, but uh, it's pretty it's pretty uh, um, it's pretty ironic how Health Canada is really treating uh, cannabis as something that um, uh, is, is really a drug versus a, a medicine. We like to ask all of our guests, is there a piece of technology, a book, or something from your past that has helped shape who you are today? Wow. Um, uh, you know, it, I think, um, you know, for myself personally, you know, it can range from everything from reading my experiments with truth uh, by Gandhi or, um, you know, I, I, th I think back at some of the books that I that I read, that, nothing to do with cannabis, but I think it, you know, helped shape 
my my worldview. Um, you know, um, anything by Vandana Shiva, like Staying Alive, was my my book that kind of awakened me to ecofeminism. Um, it's you know, I think um, I think what I what I love about cannabis and and uh, you know, most I, I'm not a, as big of a reader. Um, most of my uh, understanding of cannabis, you know, also comes from my work with organic farmers, and and so. Uh, I, I see such a strong parallel between uh, the subculture of cannabis and, and the culture of organic farming. Uh, a lot of that sharing of knowledge, uh, a lot of real connection to either the earth or to the plants. And um, um, so so I think most of my teaching just comes from really uh, having having opportunity to listen to so many different farmers about their direct relationship with the land. So, uh, probably even my my greatest teachers when it comes to uh, to cannabis. That's excellent. Uh, I want to thank you again for coming on the Shake today. Can you just let our listeners know where they can contact you for more information? Yeah, sure. Um, so our, our website, which is uh, nothing overly flamboyant, um, we have our email addresses. Uh, it is, I believe, www dot fs dash or hyphen cannabis.com uh, my email is av at fs dash cannabis.com and um and and you know you can usually find me at a lift conference or cannabis or grow up conference. we want to give a huge thank you to av singh for joining the shake presented by trio solution Please check them out at www.ilovegreengorilla.com and www.fs-cannabis.com. We also want to thank our loyal Shake listeners for spending the last 45 minutes with us. You can join the discussion or drop us a line at www.triosolution.com and on Instagram at triosolution, Twitter at THS underscore audio, and Facebook. Be sure to look out for our next episode when we chat with another industry-leading rep. We hope you enjoyed our session today and stay tuned for our next podcast. All content was created, produced, and edited by Jay Marzaria and Mando Dillon. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and give us five stars. You can find The Shake on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and wherever you stream your podcasts.